anytime on this show when we bring up Michael Bay, whether it's talking about, well, actually, I don't think we've ever talked about a Michael Bay movie on the podcast, except when we Ambulance, did Ambulance, baby. <laughs> Hold on. I know. We haven't talked about like a solo Michael Bay episode, except when we randomly decided to do a shitty movie night where we watched both John Carter of Mars and Ambulance. Um, but we did, anytime that he comes up, we have to talk about him, as you guys know. He didn't direct the two, like the 2010s Turtles movies, but his, his presence was felt. So what childhood franchise could he ruin next? Because it certainly happened with the Turtles and it certainly happened with Transformers. What do you guys want to see him ruin next? Because for me, I'd like to throw Power Rangers out there. Oh, that's a good one. I actually was thinking in terms of like the bright colors and potential for explosions that he loves to do. Uh, I think he could take on the Harry Potter franchise. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I can't even really picture that. <laughs> How uh, short of a skirt do you think Hermione Granger would be in Ew. a Michael Bay movie? <laughs> and that's never stopped him before. He has, he has no problem sexualizing young women or children. So you know what? You're probably not wrong, as much as I hate to say that. How jacked do you think Harry Potter would be? He'd oh, be pretty yeah. ripped. Which yeah, I would like to see that up. actually. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> like a six foot tall Harry Potter. And it's not it's not it's not glasses he's wearing, it's like Ray Bans or something like that. Well, honestly, I mean, now that now that we're going down this rabbit hole, I mean, we know who Michael Bay's best friend in the world is, and I know he's not British, but who is Mark Wahlberg gonna play in the franchise? Draco Malfoy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey hey Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to throw Haggard out there for fun. <laughs> who, do, who do you think Michael Bay would cast as Dumbledore? Maybe The Rock? A little pain and gain reunion? <laughs> well, you've got, you've got two to three. That would have to mean Vin Diesel's in the movie, too. Shit, you're right. Kevin, Kevin Hart's got to make an appearance, too. Yeah, okay, that's true. Now, he could be a good Ron, I think. I'm going to throw out Stephen Amell as Harry Potter with okay, Kevin Hart yeah, as Stephen Ron. Stephen Amell probably will be in it. That's fair. To save my school. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys that would gladly have traded our high school lives with the Turtles so we could live together in a stinky sewer with a weird rat father. I'm Matt Johnson, and I just gotta say it. The people, they gots to go. I'm Keith Baker, and I'm really craving some pizza. And I'm Austin Terry, and this movie is way too scary for the kids. I think that's why I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get it right off the bat, and Keith can back me up here. I don't think there's any question. This is the first time in almost 200 episodes of this podcast. Uh, seeing a movie in the theater, without a doubt, I was the person having the most fun in the theater. <laughs> oh, me too, dude. For I was sure. laughing out loud multiple times. Something happened in a post credit scene, and either I out loud said, let's go, or I was like, let's fucking go. Either way, <laughs> it probably wasn't appropriate, but I was having a blast. <laughs> but yes, too scary for kids, but that's why I liked it. On today's show, of course, we're talking about one of the last big summer releases with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem from the classic team of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg over at Point Grey Productions. In terms of feature films, this series has been pretty terrible. Um, maybe that's being too harsh, but I don't, I don't know if it is. I mean, the original 90s trilogy is iconic. There's no doubt about that. I loved it as a kid, but certainly it it's not of quality, which I think is fair. Outside of maybe there's an argument for the first one. 
The 2007 CGI film was pretty solid, but I think that's kind of just in comparison. I think by itself, it's just fine. And then we entered the Michael Bay produced duology from the 2010s, uh, which did the franchise no favors. Um, I'm looking at you, Stephen Amell. I saw your strike comments. And remember when he played Casey (laughs) Jones? That was bad. Um, You were always bad as Arrow. How did you get hired for things? Was Uh, he saving his city? (laughs) I mean, I guess he was kind of, or at least he thought he was, (laughs) except he traded in a bow and arrow for a hockey stick. Uh, Now we have a new team in 2023 tackling a fresh animated take. Let's go ahead and get into it. Austin and Keith, I want to know what were your expectations going in, if you had any, as well as your non-spoiler thoughts on TMNT Mutant Mayhem. I've been super hyped for this movie. Um, I had the privilege about a year ago to see the first act of this film uh, very early on, and I have known kind of the quality of this movie for about a year now. And so I've been sitting on that, couldn't wait for it to come out. I grew up with the Turtles. I caught the tail end of that animated series that came out in the 80s. Um, And I've just always been a fan, kind of always avoided the live action stuff. But any game they put out, any like animated show that they would put out in the early 2000s, I was always watching. So I've always kind of felt like the Turtles were due for a big hit at the box office. And Michael Bay obviously didn't do that. Um, But then when I kind of learned more about this team, the approach they were taking, um, Seth Rogen, of course, being involved. It, just the fact that there are like fans of the property on the production team always had me excited for this one. And I absolutely loved it. I think it's a blast in theaters. It's so much fun. Does every joke hit? No, of course not. But I'd say 80% of them do. I think the action's great. I think the Turtles dynamic is probably the best it's been. Like actually having real high school students voice them just made so much sense for these characters. Um, most of the... Turtles themselves are relatively unknown or young actors, and I thought they nailed it in their performances. Um, So this is like a hardcore 10 out of 10 for me. I absolutely loved it, and I think everyone should go out to see the Turtles. Yeah, now Keith, obviously, coming at it from the opposite perspective, I know that you didn't really grow up with it. So does it hit as hard coming in as kind of a newcomer? Yeah, it's it's weird because I grew up with knowing that the or knowing of the uh, the animated show. Um, and I've maybe watched like three or four episodes here and there and throughout my childhood, but I was never like a big fan or never, never really got into it. So I never knew like the characters names or any of like the lore behind it or anything like that. Yeah. I really had no expectations going into this. I didn't see any trailers. I had no idea it was even animated, to be honest. I thought it was going to be like a live action thing. So I went into it completely blind. Thank God it's not. (laughs) Yeah. I went into it completely blind, not even knowing it was animated. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, I love the animation. I love the style of it. I loved all the characters. Like you said, Austin, uh, the voice acting was really cool. And I like that the main characters weren't many people have no idea yet. I'm sure they will be soon. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the story was cool. I liked learning about these characters more. And it definitely kind of like brought back some stuff from when I did watch the, the episodes I did as a kid. Yeah, overall, I really liked it. I thought the, the, the humor was there for me. Uh, like I said, the animation was really cool. The style of it was awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to the sequel. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, I kind of I was born in '94, so my first exposure to the Turtles was really I think the 2003 I want to say uh, cartoon on Cartoon Network, and then like watching that and loving that uh, brought me back to my like blockbuster days, and I would like stumble upon wait, there's movies, and that's how I watched like. <laughs> The original 90s trilogy where the turtles in live action are played by guys in suits, which is really especially funny to watch now. (laughs) It's just, it's so bad. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't hold up super well. 
Um, although Sam Rockwell, young Sam Rockwell is in it. So if you want to discover his origins, maybe that's worth it alone. Um, but yeah, and I loved those as a kid so much. So that kind of just like kept spurring my love for these characters. So when new versions, uh, movie wise or TV wise would come out, I would watch those. Even as I grew older, I was like, this is still like most of these series are really good. So I'm still tuning in to watch these. Like these are pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's kind of like Batman for me in that way. Even as I grew older, Batman is like an animated property in particular. I, I kept watching all the new adaptations because I'm like, I like these characters and they usually do a good job. So the Turtles was kind of on par in that sense with me. So when I heard that, especially after what Michael Bay and the team did, which, you know what, I'll say this. I think when it came to the Turtles in those movies, the look of them are kind of very weird. But I think the dynamics of the Turtles in those movies are pretty solid, actually. So it's not all terrible. Um, but when I heard that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, like a few years ago, were working on an animated version, especially after they worked that they did on at, like adapting the boys and then adapting Invincible, um, I was like, well, I mean, they certainly have a great track record of adapting like comic material. They also did that with Preacher. So it's like, this can't go wrong. And it certainly didn't. You know, it gives me the good Spider-Verse feels. Uh, in terms of the animation style, the humor was there. Like I said, I was laughing out loud multiple times. I didn't really expect to, but I really was. I enjoyed kind of a scary moments looking around like you guys said. I was like, this is not a kid's movie. Kids will go into this, and this is going to be like their new favorite movie of all time. Because I think it's so different from the shit they're probably watching. Because <laughs> they're like, whoa, this is kind of freaking me out. This is kind of scary. Yeah, this is going to be the thing that like sticks in their brains. It's like the first time they saw like an older movie. Yeah, and then it's that classic thing people talk about. It's like the great animated movies are the ones that like begrudgingly parents have to take their kids to, and the parent is going to go and, and probably like like the movie more than their kid, but the kids yeah. are going to love it too. So, I mean, all around, I mean, as a fan of these characters in this property, and as somebody that just wanted like a good animated movie, like. I mean, it, it was pretty hard to go wrong. I mean, I, I really loved it. It was great. Better, It was somehow better than I thought it would be. I'm really glad they chose to take an animated approach for this movie. There's just something about the turtles that I just think animation is the best way to do this. Uh, live action is so hard with them being like physical turtles walking around in the world. Like when it's live action, it just makes it look more goofy. But in animation, you can make it all cohesive and make it look good. So I thought animation was the perfect approach for this one. Yeah, and this and the turtles like all still had like a distinctive, like a different design. So like you still got to have your cake and eat it too, and they look good in the world. So why not do animation? It works. So yeah, like Keith said, can't wait for the future of this. But with that, everybody, um, a resounding, resounding recommendation from all three of us, including uh, two fans of the property and one person like I'd heard about this, but kind of a newcomer. Sounds like Keith, you loved it just as much. So definitely go check this one out in theaters. Support a movie like this; it's great. Um, and yeah, and then come on back because the rest of this conversation is going to be spoilers. And I certainly wouldn't want to ruin anything for you. I feel like there's been a lot of episodes lately, uh, particularly last week with Secret Invasion, where I was like, you know, what? if you haven't watched it, just keep listening. Who cares? Just listen to our conversation. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to ruin anything from this. So go watch the movie, go support it, and then come on back listen to the rest of this episode. All right, everybody, welcome to Spoiler Territory. This is your final warning. If you have not seen this movie, go check it out, then come on back. But before we get into our actual conversation, Austin and Keith, get me started with some cast and crew talk, and then I'll take us into the critical reception. All right, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is directed by Jeff Rowe, 
who you may know from Gravity Falls and The Mitchells vs. the Machines. The film is written by Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, Jeff Rowe, Dan Hernandez, and Beji Samit. Our animation is by Mikros Animation and Cinesite. And our score for the film is composed by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who you may know, of course, from Nine Inch Nails, The Social Network, Gone Girl, and Soul. And, of course, based on characters originally created by Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman. All right. And going into our cast, we got Nicholas Cantu as Leo, Brady Noon as Raph, Micah Abbey as Donnie, Shaman Brown Jr. as Mikey, Ayo Edabiri as April O'Neil, Ice Cube as Superfly, Maya Rudolph as Cynthia Otrum, Seth Rogen as Bebop, John Cena as Rocksteady, Rose Byrne as Leatherhead, Giancarlo Esposito as Baxter Stockman, Post Malone as Ray Follette, Hannibal Burris as Gangus Frog, and we got Jackie Chan as Splinter, and introducing Paul Rudd as Mondo Gecko. <laughs> when he got the introducing <laughs> credit in the, in the credits, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I'm going to say it in Gecko's voice, there's a cast of crew, guys. Any positives, <laughs> any negatives? What do we got? Oh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, I have to give my highlights uh, to Nicholas Cantu, Brady Noon, Micah Abbey, and Shimon Brown Jr. as our turtles themselves. Uh, they were great. I mean, just such a fun dynamic between all of them. You can tell that they're like high school friends that are going to mess with each other. Um, I was thinking about our friendship in high school. Like, just they're very close. They pick at each other, but then they're also kind of going to be there for each other. Um, I love the fact that they chose to have the kids all record together in studio. Um, they really talked about how that kind of led to the improv- improvisation. And I think it re- that really came out just like in the quieter scenes with the turtles, just kind of jostling with each other. Um, this is like one of my favorite turtles dynamics I've seen of all of like the animation properties we've gotten. So really loved it in this film. Um, who do I want to shout out? There's so many. <laughs> it's hard to choose, but Jackie Chan's such an easy one. But I think I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Ice Cube as Superfly. That one was the most surprising to me. And I was like, Fuck yeah, this is awesome. Like, no better voice you could have for... The perfect voice, especially for that character design. Yeah, yeah, for the character design and then, like, just his attitude and Ice Cube is a perfect role for that. Uh, He's got such a, like, distinct voice, so that was really cool that they cast him in in that role. Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's really just everybody. I mean, I'll I'll just give everybody a shout-out here. But, I mean, if I have to go in particulars, it's hard not to, you know, discredit the animators and the artists that worked on this as a whole. it looks great. It looks so good. It's very distinct, has its own style, and it's a style I'm excited to see them somehow mess around even more with in the future, but they did a great job. What a great debut. Um, God, I mean, the soundtrack was awesome, but then even in the, in the little moments in between with the score, I think, you know, the, the great team of uh, Reznor and Ross was also fantastic. If I'm going to pick one person from the cast, I mean, guys, it was Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd <laughs> is great in everything. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised he was great here. But it's basically just every single thing Mondo Gecko said was hysterical to me. <laughs> I'm just happy for Mr. Paul Rudd coming off of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. He needed a hit, so I'm glad it was Mondo Gecko. Whenever his tail falls off in the final battle, he's oh like, my Don't God. Worry, it'll grow back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. So good. But yeah, I mean, everybody's great. I had a beer as well as April. I mean, everybody. It, it's hard. I'll just keep going. So I've got to stop myself there. But everybody was so good. The voice of Ayo Edaberry is just perfect for April. Like, yeah. I'm not, every time I hear or even think about April O'Neill, I'm going to be hearing her voice in my head now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You mentioned the animation. I also thought the animation was great. And the really fun thing about the mutants themselves is um, they submitted like drawings from high school students for the designs of all the mutants in this movie. So really fun to kind of pull in kind of even more of that like teenage feel of the film. Mm, definitely. That's really cool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, their designs are really good. But yeah, you could definitely tell maybe there was like a younger influence. So yeah, good call there. All right, guys. So you know that uh, we all absolutely adored this movie, but what does everybody else have to say? So TMNT Mutant Mayhem received universal critical acclaim and currently has a 96% over on Rotten Tomatoes. Besides critical consensuses, with its unique visual style and a story that captures the essence of the franchise's appeal, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is an animated treat for the whole family. Except your kids. Except your kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the cast, particularly the turtle actors, Chan and Rudd, received praise alongside the script and stylistic animation. I, I really had to struggle to find negatives, but the ones I could find seemed to be a consistent attitude, I guess, if that makes sense. So just to you know, have some fairness here, the ones I could find felt that the story and some characters lacked depth and the film relied on maybe one too many cliche tropes, which I don't disagree with, but I still think they did them well. So while I understand maybe some of the negatives, they weren't anything that hindered my experience, at least. The ending, I think, is where you probably saw the tropes and like, oh, they got their perfect ending. Yeah. But I thought it made so much sense for the story they're trying to tell because at some point they have to get them into high school. So yeah. I think it makes sense that they get fully accepted by the end of this film. For sure. Continuing, with, you know, even more surprises. This movie cost, in my estimation at least, a surprisingly low $70 million to make. I mean, think about like the Disney, the Pixars of the world. I mean, how those movies cost like 200 plus million dollars now. And it just proves that you don't, need to do that you can do something different that's maybe more experimental and end up with a lower budget i thought it was going to be so much higher after its opening weekend it has already made 43 million so we'll see if this one has legs in the coming weeks the movie finished fourth behind barbie oppenheimer and the meg to the trench <laughs> oh my god hell yeah <laughs> uh, it's that sounds bad when you say it, it finished fourth in its opening weekend but you have to remember the whole barbenheimer thing has been Building up and going for so long, I mean, for Christ's sakes, Barbie just cost $1 billion at the box office. So I think it's just safe to say that right now it's a very crowded time in the theaters in general. So what I'm hoping for is I think this movie will just continue to resonate like the others have, especially with the full family going to see something like this specifically. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it did. I read this opened 13 million more than projections. So at least it's already doing better than they thought. So hopefully that means it continues to do so, because I want this one to do really well. And I think word of mouth is really going to help this one, especially with a franchise like this that's had some duds at the box office. I, I think it's as more of the kind of universal praise gets out there. I bet I bet we'll see a, a longer leg at the box office. I'm sure, though, if you could go back a year to the Paramount executives and say, hey, Barbie's going to make a billion dollars. Do you want to move your movie? They would probably all go, uh, yeah, we're going to push this a month out. Yeah, I think giving this one just a little bit of space probably would have done even better. But hey, they'll know that for next time. The sequel's already greenlit, so they'll figure it out. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's time to go a little bit deeper. We've been having to this conversation so far. But now let's get into specifics and get into our roundtable discussion. This is the main part of our show where each of us brought a point or two that we really wanted to dive just a bit deeper into and kind of break it all down and see what the others thought. So, guys, who wants to start us off today? Yeah, I guess this is more of a question for our friend Keith, uh, since Keith didn't have the same level of fandom that me and Matt do for the Turtles. But I thought this movie handled the origin and the backstory perfectly and super efficiently. It's super short amount of screen time. I, I think they just assume everybody knows they got some green ooze on them and they became mutants. But 
Keith, for someone like you who doesn't know everything about these characters, did you want more of their backstory or were you happy with what you got? I, I think I'm fairly happy with what we got. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind maybe in the sequel if they get like if they uh, kind of dive in deeper to where the ooze came from and all that. But I think for this this opener and just kind of jumping right into them being the mutant Ninja Turtles and then also getting Splinter as a mutant rat as their dad. Um, that worked for me. I know it was quick, but I, I kind of like we just kind of get into it real quick and then we get into them already kind of being used to them being these mutants and having an actual uh, English speaking voice and not just being like these uh, animal turtles. So, yeah, I, I liked I liked it. And Matt, I guess this is a follow up question for you as someone who is a big turtles fan. But the biggest like hot topic I see about this movie is how the turtles learned martial arts, uh, mostly from watching TV. So did that work for you or not? Yeah, first of all, I, I really love the intro as well. It's already a ridiculous premise, so to Keith's point, it's like, yeah, could we have gotten more? Sure. But if they have given us more, is it really going to make us believe anymore that four turtles got some ooze spilled on them and they've become mutant <laughs> ninjas? <laughs> Probably not. So I think doing it this way makes sense. To answer your question, Austin, it is goofy, and it's always been goofy. And I could be wrong. You know, I'm just going to shoot my shot here and accept that I, you know, I might be wrong. Some of the fans might come after me. I think that 80s cartoon did this. I'm trying to remember how the original comics did it. Either way, in some versions, it's a bit more uh, easier to digest, kind of. And that um, Shredder and Splinter were both humans. Shredder is still human, but they were both humans. They were basically mortal enemies. If I believe it was over a woman, you know, classic like scorned love type shit. So they become enemies. Uh, and Splinter throughout like the ooze thing is turned from a human into a rat, but he was already like a, nin a ninjutsu master. So even though he becomes a rat, it's very, you can go, okay, him teaching the turtles ninjutsu makes sense. In every other version, it's really ridiculous. It's like Splinter's just a rat and then he <laughs> mutates. And he, in some versions, he like finds a book that he reads and is somehow able to teach ninjutsu by a book. In some versions, they watch TV. <laughs> in some <laughs> versions, a rat version of Splinter has like a his owner that knows ninjutsu. In the original 90s, there's an iconic shot of a rat in a cage <laughs> doing ninja moves. <laughs> and then he teaches it to the turtles. The point being, it's always stupid. It was stupid here, too, but the reason why it worked in this movie and why I'm, I don't agree with those people that were like, oh, how could they do that? Is like, at least this one acknowledged it was a joke. They have that great scene with Splinter where he's like, I'm a rat. I mutated. I taught you ninjutsu to defend yourselves. Any questions? He, he's basically telling you, the audience, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to spend yeah. any more time on it. <laughs> so the fact that they did that, I was like, OK, it's always stupid. So let's not waste time showing like flashback scenes of a rat like an old rat that got ooze on him somehow learning ninjutsu and teaching it to his <laughs> turtle sons because <laughs> it's always stupid. So we can just like skip that and get to the cool stuff where they're already ninjas. Yeah, that's how I took it too. both the origin story and the martial arts stuff. It's like everyone knows this. Let's get through it as quick as we can so we can tell you a new story. And so I was glad they allocated time there. And even with the martial arts stuff, even though they are watching TV and maybe that's not what everyone's looking for, I did appreciate that they were getting this from TV, but then you still have scenes of Splinter teaching them what they're watching on TV. So I think you got kind of the best of both worlds. We touched on it a little bit, um, but I wanted to talk to you guys about the animation and kind of dive into that, especially, you know, compared to other recent animated movies we've seen. I know we loved all the Spider-Verse movies. And I know for me, that really was impressive, like how clear and crisp it looked. And then going into this one, it was much different, but I still loved it. I was telling Matt after we got out of the movie that 
when it first zooms in on the uh, the Ninja Turtles, like up on the on the roof, it almost looked like claymation like to me for a second. But then you kind of get used to it after a while. And I was like, oh, this is really cool looking. Uh, so what'd you guys think about that? I thought the animation was great. And I love that they didn't just try to copy Spider-Verse. They just yeah. they did their own style um, and they made it make sense for the turtles. I don't know if it quite hits the level of like beauty that you get from the Spider-Verse franchise with like just the shots in New York and stuff like that. But what I really loved about this anima- animation style specifically is there's like a texture to it that almost makes it feel like it's a comic book page. And so that that's what I liked about it. And it feels like a little dirtier too, which I think makes sense since they're coming from the sewers and stuff like that. So, I mean, overall, I loved it and I'm glad that it's unique and it's its own thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are characters that live in a sewer and their outside world is New York and they're pretty much only coming out at night. So there is some grime, there is some dirt to it. So I think maybe in a way they were able to sell like a bit of a cheaper budget and a cheaper animation, like, you know, allocation and style to like, well, you know, it's supposed to kind of look a little bit like grimy and dirty. That's what, that's the look and vibe we're going for. So in that sense, it works. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just like talking about the animation in general. It's like, we already alluded to it. I love a lot of what Disney and Pixar does even DreamWorks too. But it's like, eventually when you're spending hundreds of million dollars per movie, I don't know, I guess maybe that's not the reason, but they do start to look the same. A lot of the Disney movies look the exact same. Nowadays, even a lot of the Pixar movies look the exact same. They found a style that works so good for them. But I think, I don't know, I think in terms of what's resonating with me lately, it is these different feeling, these ones that are more distinct. I mean, Spider-Verse, and this cost like half as less or even more than half as less as some of those like huge, like, you know, tent house uh, places. And these are the movies that feel more different and interesting. They're like tackling more like issues. The animation style is more engaging. It's like more different. It's like eye popping and just like it's interesting to watch. Like these days, at least with Disney and Pixar, I'm not watching it and being like, wow, this is interesting. I'm like, this is beautiful looking. This looks great. It looks like the last Pixar movie I watched. You know what I mean? Doesn't mean those movies are bad. Like quality wise, it's just the way they look is starting to get a bit samey. So I'm liking stuff like this more. Yeah. And I think that's a good point because we all saw Lightyear last year and did it for the podcast. And at the time, I think we all commented that, yeah, we liked it and and the movie looks great. I haven't thought about that animation since versus something like Spider-Verse or like this where Mm -hmm. when I think about the movies, I think of how cool the animation looks. Yeah. And just like the experimental vibe of it, like they're doing super interesting things. And there, there was stuff in this movie while I was watching, I was like, is that intentional? And then like just reading afterwards, it turns out it was like because they got Jackie Chan a splinter when it came to a lot of splinters action scenes. They watched a lot of Jackie Chan's old action movies like Police Story and stuff like that because they wanted to model the way Splinter moves and fights like how Jackie Chan did, like using the locations like Splinter's kind of like he uses the location while he's fighting too, like the setting around him in, in a different way than the turtles. And it's like, wow, you were able to like come up with that idea based on it, like a voice actor you cast and then create an animation style and scene around that. So there are even like little moments and sequences within the animation is like different from anything else you're going to see in like the mainstream animated films. But yeah, like I mentioned um, a bit of the action in regards to animation. Do you think as a whole, the animation style lended itself well to the action scenes? Because obviously that's going to be a lot different, both choreography wise and just movement wise than a scene of the turtles kind of like sitting or walking around and talking with each other. Do you think like when it got a little bit crazy in some of those action sequences, it still looked really good? I love the action in this movie. Um, The standout, I think for me is 
the garage fight is great, but I, I really did enjoy the montage too. And they're like taking down the other crime groups trying to get to Superfly. Yeah. Um, that just felt like a classic, like almost like 90s mob movie where they're just going through these different groups of people. I was also really happy with how violent it was. I, I mean, these people do have ninja skills and they're carrying pretty dangerous weapons. So it made sense that they were their fighting style was a little bit more brutal. Um, yeah, I thought the action was great in this one. I was kind of getting like a nostalgic feeling when I was watching it. I felt like I was watching like the Batman animated series uh, style show or even t- or even maybe the old TMT animated show that I watched a little bit of. Um, this one definitely went all in, especially like like you said, Austin, like the montage scenes. But even the scene whenever they're they're fighting the uh, the mutated whale, too. I thought that was all awesome. Yeah. All the action was sick. I loved it. <laughs> I always like laugh and think about how in like the 90s original movies, it was deemed too violent for the turtles to use their weapons. So, but the weird thing is they still gave them their weapons. So basically, if you watch those movies, they're holding all their weapons. Like Leo has his katanas, but he only punches and kicks people because they're like, you can't show them using their weapons. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice that we're in a place where the turtles can be given their iconic weapons and use them because that was the intention. <laughs> There's one shot in the mantra scene where you see Leo drag his sword across some guy's neck. And I'm like, I think that guy's dead. I think he just killed that <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah, that guy might have died. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, I think it's it's Ralph who's like, or, or maybe it's Michelangelo who's like, yeah, murder's a heavy burden. I'm like, I think you guys know a thing or two about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Splinter was like, look, I know you're teenagers, but I'm going to give you these deadly weapons and I want you to use them, basically. <laughs> The crazy thing when they were talking about this movie is like, hey, we're calling it Mutant Mayhem. It's like, okay, what does that mean? And then they basically announced a long time ago that here's our cast. And that cast list, you just kept scrolling and scrolling. You're like, holy shit. There's like a billion characters in this. Like, I mean, are they going to be able to balance all of that? Because it was also like, oh, you got Ice Cube, Rose Byrne, Paul Rudd. You got Seth Rogen and John Tim. You got all these people. Like, aren't they all going to be like fighting for screen time? So I was like, is this going to be too much? So. I want to talk about it. I mean, when the villains get introduced, you know, X amount of time into the movie, do you think that they were able to balance like all of that with Superfly obviously as the main villain, but still having kind of, um, you know, those side characters around? Was there enough of them? Like, did it, did it work for you? Because it, it worked for me. I thought they were somehow able to balance it all. It works for me. It, it didn't stand out at all as an issue because Superfly is the villain. And so they allocate their time there, which I think makes sense. And then the rest of them really are comic relief. And so they're there to give you their one-liner, make you chuckle, and then you move on to something else. So that's all that I took their role as in the film. I didn't need each one of them to have like their own backstory and motivations and arc and all that. I was there mainly to have the rest of the mutants make me laugh. Yeah, same. They were hilarious. <laughs> um, even like the ones that barely had any lines, like I think, what was it, Hannibal Burris' Gangus Frog? Post Malone is just singing the whole time and it's annoying <laughs> Superfly. It's like, can yeah. you just introduce yourself and stop singing? Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I think Ice Cube definitely stole the show, though, as Superfly. Um, it was very menacing, for sure, especially when he like calls them out. He's like, like, are you not with me? <laughs> like, what? Are you in or are you out? Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, I, I mean, I assumed going in, I would enjoy Ice Cube as Superfly and kind of knowing, okay, I guess there is this team of mutants, but it seems like Superfly is the main bad guy. Um, I was surprised the level of like, I don't know, I guess depth to that character because I, I felt bad for him. I mean, his dad got murdered in front of him <laughs> and then he has to like 
take it upon himself, I suppose, to continue the family that his dad was trying to build for them. So that's like kind of what inspires him to build these mutants up. Um, and then, you know, X amount of years later, all of a sudden those mutants are like, I don't know if we want to do this. And you understand why they don't want to do it because Superfly is like obviously taking things too far. But he also lives in a world where no one accepts him. And I love the dynamic of Superfly and Splinter basically acknowledging that they're kind of the same. Um, it's just that Splinter is scared of the humans where Superfly is like, well, I'm doing something about it. Uh, almost like a Magneto Professor X type back and forth at some point. So like I was just surprised that not only I liked Ice Cube as the character, but it's actually a pretty like well-defined and in-depth villain. And I like that we got the scenes of the turtles hanging out with the other mutants and Superfly for a bit. I thought that was really important because the turtles had never met anybody like them. So it was cool for them to kind of get that group for a bit. Um, it also kind of le let you see the dynamic between Superfly and his family um, and kind of juxtapose that against Splinter and the turtles. And I also like that they kind of do draw that comparison of Superfly and Splinter kind of took the same approach to their parenting and just the results were a little different. And then speaking of dynamics in this movie, the other kind of really important one for the Turtles in general is the April O'Neil uh, and the Turtles themselves. So how did we like that in this movie? Yeah, I liked, I liked the role of April. Uh, I definitely loved the, the, her intro, too, with the ninja star flying into her helmet. Oh, so good. Um, I loved all their dialogue with her, too. I thought all of it was really funny and, and genuine. You know, her being like a young journalist trying to figure them out and trying to like expose them to the world without like harming them and all that was really cool uh to watch um and like having them transition to high school and them already having like a good friend in her so yeah her character was really cool um kind of like the i guess you could say like the the rock of the group yeah i think it was also just a really smart choice for this movie to age april down to also being in high school i think some of the like more recent series adaptation of the turtles have done that as well um it's just it's a very different dynamic in the original runs of the stories in the 80s cartoon, in the 90s films, and then in the Michael Bay ones, too. I mean, you had Judith Hogue in the 90s ones. You have Megan Fox playing April in the Michael Bay ones. I'm not saying that dynamic can't work, but it's just very different. And sometimes it's weird because, I'll be honest, I, I typically feel very iffy about it. The whole, like, turtle love dynamic with April can just be... It, it's just weird. You just have to acknowledge yeah. it. It's strange. Um but at least like being in high school, you can sell it a bit more because then you're kind of dealing with like first crush, first love type thing. And that's a, a very different thing. So I just think it was a smart choice to age her down to be more of their contemporary, more of their age, because then it becomes a more natural friend thing. And then April, I mean, you know, Ayur Beery, like we said, does a great job. And yeah, just earnestly trying to help them, like kind of understanding where they're coming from. And like you said, wanting to help them achieve their goal of being shown to the world but realizing that there's more kind of levels to that that we can't just simply announce hey here's these turtle kids they they want to be loved too <laughs> <laughs> so we can't do that which also of course ends up tying into superfly's whole thing of like well no we we have to go after them because they hate us so yeah they were able to kind of meld the stories and character dynamics together but overall i, I really just enjoyed them kind of developing a friendship and kind of being high school contemporaries for sure what do you guys think about the final third act battle where Superfly kind of levels up into the giant whale Godzilla monster. For me, I really liked the, like the escalation of threats. You first have, oh, we've got this guy stealing stuff. We meet this guy. Okay, he wants to build a machine. We Okay, we stopped the machine, but it had some different consequences than we were anticipating. So each like act has its own level of threat that I thought worked really nicely for the whole film. Yeah, like I said earlier, I enjoyed the action too in this whole fight scene. I love that the 
the turtles were interacting with the humans too, like the cab driver. Um, and that other, I was like a garbage man or something. I can't remember. But anyway, he walks up and like, says, you need help. And I liked how they were helping Splinter out too. So everything kind of like came together. Yeah. The resolution to Splinter's thing. Yeah. And I think we talked about it in the critical reception. I mean, this is certainly where most of maybe you could understand the critiques of people being like, yeah, a lot of superhero movies do this type of story, this type of third act. They do this type of, um, tropey thing of where our heroes are down now. The people around him have to save him. I feel, I feel like the Spider-Man movies always do this. It's like the New Yorkers, like you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. <laughs> we got to move our crane <laughs> so you can swing. <laughs> That's the bad one. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man's like we have to move all the cranes in a perfect line so Spider-Man with his bad leg can go stop a lizard man. <laughs> it's like this is stupid. Um, so yeah, this movie does that too, but it's just it's more heartfelt. Like genuinely, this knowing Splinter's arc in this movie you understand why he's scared and watching him kind of fall down when he's trying to help his sons and he like you, i don't know just like the way they did like the facial animation of how scared he gets when the human walks toward him and then like you said keith is you're like you need some help because april has already like gone on air and said like here's what's going on um you know splinter and the turtles they're, they're trying to help us and it's like a lot of people see the news and they're like oh we got to go help them too kind of that fun new yorker dynamic that we see tackled in movies like this and that was just a really sweet moment and that kind of brings Splinter back into the fold. And I don't know, just, just watching the turtles work together, man, is always cool. And watching them take down this character, watching Raph look at Leo and be like, dude, you're a leader. Like the, after like, yeah, him, that speech was after great. They're all three like, yeah, they're all three like giving him shit most of the movie because they're just teenagers and like, oh, Leo, self-serious as always. But Leo does have like an extra burden. He's like, he knows he's the leader. And it's like, how do you be a leader of your three brothers, your contemporaries when you're just like a fucking kid? And at the end, like, they all, like, aren't giving him shit for once. Like, well, Leo, that was awesome. Like, of course, like, you're our leader. It was like, it was sweet. It was, it was great. So, yeah, the third act was awesome. And going back to kind of, like, the villain dynamics, it is really cool. It, it all looks great. But, like, the whole time I did kind of feel bad for Superfly. I think in a weird way, he does end up kind of becoming, in a strange way, what society, like, maybe created him by instilling that anger and hate into him. And then by, like, going this far, he just becomes this thing with no kind of conscious really just a full-on mutant that's like destroying everything which i don't even think he maybe necessarily intended so it was sad but i I was glad with how it all came together yeah and also going back to leo's kind of like inspirational speech to his team i I like that they all developed a plan together because for most of the movie it was leo telling them what they should be doing and then in this one he like solicited all of their input to develop their final plan to stop so that was like a natural leader thing too for him to to take on that additional responsibility so like kind of talking about the third act I did before we close out, I want to talk a little bit about the falling action at the end there. You know, the entire movie, the turtles are trying to figure out, you know, is like a high school normal life what we want to do? And at the end, of course, you know, they become closer as a team through this. Like it was super sweet to see them and Splinter kind of come together and come to an understanding of Splinter, um, understanding that not all humans are bad and, you know, his sons are really interested in human life and he wants to kind of support that it was really cool. So, of course, they get to go to high school. They think it's going to be like really scary. They walk in the front door and everybody's going to like shun them for how they look. And everybody's like, <laughs> like the turtles, like it was really cool. So what do you guys think of kind of just the wrap up in general here? I thought the wrap up was great. Is it cheesy? Yes. Is it predictable? Yes. But they're setting up kind of a new era of the turtles. So this is a natural place for them to get to in their first movie. Um, and it was kind of a nice continuation from them being uh, welcomed at the end of their battle to also being like, welcome to high school and then of course like in the post-credit scene they get to find they each kind of finding their own roles and things they want to do in high school so 
I enjoyed all of that. Um, the last thing I'll say before we fully close out is with this movie, I think these long running franchises there can be a tendency to do like a bunch of fan service moments. And they really didn't have that in this one, which I appreciated. They told their own story. The one moment might be the Cowabunga deal when they're in the air in the car. But other than that, like they everything they did in this movie made sense for that story. So I really enjoyed that too. I thought it was pretty contained for me and definitely a good origin uh to bring me into this world. So uh yeah, I like the fact that they they dropped their mask as they're walking up the sewer and and uh yeah, Splinter catches cool. him and kinda he's kinda like letting them go free now into the world. So that was cool. And then, like you said, Austin watching them like uh have their first interaction with like the kids in the hallway and they're all cool about it. And then having April as like their their go-to friend there uh, was, yeah, a good wrap-up. I think a lot of movies, particularly in the superhero genre these days, um, they kind of fall into the trap of trying to set up too much. And you use the word contain, Keith, and I think that's kind of the right word. Like, As a fan or not, this really just is a contained story. And like you said, Austin, too, like talking about the fan service, there was like a good amount of it in there, like a, the right amount, but none of it felt weird. It was just they were telling a story that happened to feature the TMNT characters. So it just felt right. And at the end, it's like they didn't do the thing they all do of like, oh, man, there's so much set up. The thing that I liked is they told the story with the beginning, middle and ending. Uh, they don't leave you wanting anything specific more like, oh, where are they going to go with that storyline there? You're just like, I really like this. I want to see more. It's not until the post credit where they give you one little flash of something maybe you could expect to see. And I like that. They didn't go overboard with like. Here's what we're going to do in the next one. We'll follow up that storyline. It's just, here's, we're showing you happy stuff with the turtles, like you said, doing their things in high school. Mikey's doing improv. Donnie's like, I found my people. And it just cuts to him, like just geeking out the nurses on their laptops, of course. Um, all great stuff. And then, of course, cutting back to Cynthia Utram, uh, played by Maya Rudolph's character, who's like, oh, we failed. We've got to bring in a specialist. And just zoom in out and show him that shot of Shredder from behind. Like I said, Keith, I, I literally don't remember. I like blacked out. Either I was like, it, maybe it was in my head I, like, or I didn't say anything or I was like, let's go. Or I was like, just like screaming like fuck in front of a bunch of kids. I don't remember, <laughs> but I was so excited. I mean, it looks awesome. I can't wait to see Shredder. Yeah, it's super exciting. Originally, Shredder was going to be the villain in this movie, but they, they said they wanted to do the Dark Knight thing where they bring in the iconic villain in the second movie. So it's, it's an exciting future for the Turtles. And I'm glad... Um, I'm glad that Michael Bay has nothing to do with it because I feel much better about the turtles being in Seth Rogen's hands. Yeah, I don't know who Shredder is, but he seems pretty badass. That's what I was going to say. Keith, like, does it mean anything to you? <laughs> we need to uh, get our friend Keith to play the TMNT Shredder's Revenge game with us, and we can all play three-player co-op. Oh, that'd be fun. But yeah, Keith, I guess like excluding the Shredder part, I mean, are you just like really excited for a sequel yeah. in general? And that's just like a cool aspect, right? Yeah, I mean, kind of like I was with uh, Into the Spider-Verse. I was already ready to watch that sequel, so I'm feeling the same way about this franchise. Um, and like you said, Austin, with Seth Rogen being at the reins, um, I feel like we can trust him, and uh, hopefully he'll do no wrong. I'm excited for the show, too. Like a show yeah, keeping this theme and this style of animation and this kind of same core crew together. Um, it's, it's fun. It's an exciting future for the Turtles. Yeah, I have no idea what that show will be specifically. They've said spinoffs. I don't know if that means it's following a character specifically or they just be like, there's just a spinoff and maybe we'll, they'll use that to bridge the gap between this movie and the sequel that'll come out in a few years or something. But either way, definitely excited for more of this world. But guys, before we close out here, of course, we have to do some Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is the part of our show where we take something from the thing we just talked about. It could be positive, negative, or something in between, something that we think deserves specific praise. So what do you got for 
I'm going to give a very simple award. Um, it's just the Dirty Feet Award. I don't know why this has never stood out to me with the turtles, but the whole movie I was thinking, these guys live in the sewer, they're walking around New York City, they're walking around the rooftops, and none of them have shoes on. So they're just wading, th- wading through the sewer, their feet are disgusting. I'm sure when they walked into school, people looked at their feet and they were like, that's not going to work for me, friend. So they've got some <laughs> dirty ass feet. Maybe maybe we'll make some new friends at the high school that are just going to have like an honest conversation with them and be like, hey guys, we love you. Like, we love everything you're doing. You guys are cool, fun to hang out with, but your feet smell like shit. Like, here's some tennis shoes. <laughs> here's, here's some deodorizer spray or whatever. Uh, just get that handled and we'll be good. If you want to fit in with us, you got to put some socks on and cover yourself in Axe body spray. Hell yeah. It's the only way to do it in high school. I'm going to give the new fear award goes to the milk machine. I definitely don't want to get milked. I was so glad they paid that off. That was scaring the shit out of me. I, I can see why the turtles were pretty upset about it. Uh, it's hurting. It's hurting. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I loved when Splinter came in and was like, boys, is that a milk machine? <laughs> the mega milker was what it was called. The mega milker. So beautiful. Um, I mean, speaking of Splinter, I mean, I have to call it out. I'm, I'm shocked it took this long. Uh, but in the montage of him through the ages teaching them ninjutsu, uh, we got Splinter with a mullet, guys. Holy shit, that looked pretty damn cool. <laughs> and a like kick-ass, beefier mustache. He was looking good. So I guess my award is, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> you look great in your older age, but man, in his prime, hoo-wee, he could be getting any mutant besides Scumbug, I'll tell you that. He could have really snuck in and done some work, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> What do you think the like mutant dating app is called? Oh, I guess Bumble, technically. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's a good point. Maybe um, Ooze Town. Ew, <laughs> Ooze Town. <laughs> mutant match or something like that. Well, probably something like simple like that. That's how they're gonna mutant start. Mutant matchup. That's how they're gonna start in these early days. Is the turtles and Splinter like kind of coming out of the woodwork. They're going to start with something simple like mutant match. And then you're going to get, you know, your Bumble or Hinge equivalents. Tinder is definitely the equivalent to mutant matchup. And then the one that's like clearly marketed just for like hookups is Ooze Town. Okay. I would actually, I would co-sign that. Yeah, we could, you could use Ooze Town <laughs> for something like that kind of dirty. Well, and on your profile settings on Ooze Town, you can say just how dirty you want to get. I suppose you could. All right, everybody. Well, you know, we're going to go ahead and uh, work on the Ooze Town dating app, so make sure you leave us reviews on there, download it. Uh, but yeah, with that, thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and TheArnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for another show. And last week, uh, we put out our thoughts on the finale of Secret Invasion. Um, at the start of that episode, Keith and I both said we liked it. Matt said he didn't like it. But then by the end of it, I, I think all three of us landed on that we hated the show. Uh, the more <laughs> I think about it, I hate the show. So yeah, um, it's not very good. But if you want to hear us talk about it, be sure to go check that episode out. Lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Team and T, Mutant Mayhem? Do you agree with the general sentiment that the people, they gets to get? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. This movie, to me, is what movies are all about. Go out and support it. Go out and see it again if you've already seen it. I don't care. I'm going to go see it again. Uh, But yeah, hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Peace.
See ya. Cowabunga, bro. 